This podcast is brought to you by Not Just Another Detox, your two-week startup to change your lifestyle and habits. This is brought to you by mgherbs.com.au. To find out more, go to the website and click on Not Just Another Detox and start your change today. My name is Melissa Gearing and I am the Naked Naturopath. Thanks for listening in. of the Naked Natch Path. Today I have a man who needs a uh, very little introduction, I think. His name is known uh, in the general public and uh, to me and fellow nutritionists and naturopaths. He's someone who um, I'm really inspired by and aspire to be like as he touches so many lives with his messages of health. He also has a real knack, I think, for making um, complex ideas easy to follow so we can all understand our bodies better and therefore our health. He's been on TV, radio, and is a sought-after presenter. And he has his fingers in many different projects, such as Forage, Forage Cereal, um, The Wellness Guys. And today he's graciously given me some of his time, which thank you. I appreciate. So we can kind of pick your brain and um, see where our chat leads. Welcome, Damien Christoph. Oh, thank you, Mel. That's a nice, lovely introduction. <laughs> it's nice to be introduced like that. I, um, yeah, often people just read the pre the pre written one that I wrote for them and <laughs> and then off we go. That was really nice. <laughs> no, I didn't send it. <laughs> I do have one on my website, but uh, but that's really great. So thank you. Yeah, lovely to be here with you, Mel, and uh, really lovely to be able to chat with the audience as well. Well, it was actually really difficult to make it that short. <laughs> <laughs> it's um it's around seven thirty here in Newcastle, and you're in Melbourne. I yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's true. It's uh, we're, we're gearing up for a um, thirty-eight degree day today, so it's oh wow, it's yeah. going to be pretty warm. Yeah, nice. I actually had to move in with my mum um, because it's so hot here. Wow, <laughs> really? Air, Is that right? We don't have aircon, so <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. that's intense. I would love to start by letting you introduce yourself in your own words, because I think that's always the best way to get to know someone. Yeah. Um, and then I guess learning a bit more about your projects and just getting stuck into what we're passionate about, probably food, yeah. <laughs> mostly, yeah. and um, educating people. But yeah, if you want to introduce yourself. Sure, Mel. Well, for those who, if those of you who are listening that haven't heard um, from me or of me before, uh, I started my nutrition uh, journey, I suppose, uh, when I was starting to be an accountant. And uh, and that kind of um, was born out of, I suppose, a bit of boredom. I wasn't really that into accounting. It took me two and a half years to pass first year accounting. And uh, maybe I like to tell people that I really enjoyed first year, so I tried it a couple of times, but it really wasn't the case. I just didn't get into it. So as a result, I spent a lot of time experimenting with food and herbs and all kinds of different things, especially down at the beach. And, um, and the herbs I experimented with, Tended to expand my consciousness, which led me to um, to <laughs> seek nourishment from foods that probably aren't that good. So I, um, you know, I had a bit of a baptism of fire. When you don't look after your body, you, your body starts to let you know. And mine let me know by letting me know I had chronic fatigue. And I was eventually diagnosed with chronic fatigue syndrome. I went to see a naturopath. He got me better. And, uh, and I thought that's a really cool thing to be able to do. So I decided I was going to become a naturopath. And so I studied that. And, uh, and, and practiced that successfully, loved it for, you know, almost a decade, then decided to go and study to be a chiropractor. Just off the back of seeing, you know, people who were seeing chiropractors being very, very healthy, and I really enjoyed that lifestyle. I really enjoyed 
um, understanding more about the human body as the nervous system controls everything. And, and I didn't realize that chiropractic was all about the nervous system. I just thought it was about back pain and neck pain, but it goes far beyond that. So I thought, oh, well, I, I want to study that. So it took me to New Zealand. And while I was in New Zealand, I ended up filming a TV show called Downsize Me. And that taught hundreds of thousands of people how to eat well. And, uh, and it was a really powerful, very um, exciting TV show. It was a reality TV show. It was, you know, we stopped filming that 10 years ago and it went to air, air for the first time in about 2005. So 12 years ago it went to air and it's, um, it's still being shown here in Australia. And, and I, I find it really, really exciting. It's still being shown in, in New Zealand, but also in Australia. But the, the most exciting thing about that is that most food shows and diet shows are fatty. Like they, they, they revolve around a current trend or they revolve around something that, you know, someone discovered and this is, you know, what we're doing and, or it's an investigation of a, a, a diet that's been labelled with a name and, uh, and they, they check it out and they see whether or not that's, that's good for everybody. Um, and this particular uh, show that we did was just real food. And, uh, and teaching people to eat real food. And, we, you know, we achieved amazing things. So we'd have people who needed to lose, say, 60 or 70 kilograms lose 10 or 20 kilos in eight weeks, you know, and just phenomenal amounts of weight loss, um, but incredible health uh, shifts and changes. So uh, that led me to, you know, want to talk more about that, about that and just educate people. So I, I put together a seminar called The Power of Food, and that seminar has now been running for 14 or so years. And, um, and, and, I, and I continue to give that probably, you know, sometimes 15, 20 times a year around Australia or New Zealand. Um, and I've done that seminar now over 400 times. And it's, uh, it's a seminar that I love doing. I, I just love it. And, and it, just, it just continues to be current. I actually saw um, it advertised like on a YouTube thing. And I yeah. don't know how old it was, but it was $5. <laughs> to go and see you do it really that's amazing five bucks that's not bad that's not bad at all was at that's, a church. A that's a bargain yeah look i did do that at, at a church I, I i do do it at a lot of different churches and for different church groups too so um not because I am any particular denomination with my faith, but um, church groups tend to want to all do things together. So they might get me along to, to do this particular presentation for the whole church congregation. And then they can make that change as a community as well. Yeah, that's right. I think it's really important. You know, I think, you know, people who are, who are into um, their health or into faith, for example, uh, many people would respect that the creator, whoever it is that they believe in, uh, wants their body to be the best they possibly can be. So I, most people within a church environment would go, well, I really should be doing the right thing by my body, given that would be the right thing by the creator. So, um, you know, not that by any stretch of imagination is my message uh, religious or faith-based, yeah. but uh, you certainly when you take that, that little angle and you think, well, what, what is it that's best for me? It's probably what is best for, or what was best for the planet and what was intended for you, really. What that's, was that's, created for us. Too. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. Now, Mal, as I'm talking to you, I'm noticing my microphone's dropping down. I've got this sticky <laughs> thing. So I'm going to mute my mic while you're talking and I'm just going to bring my microphone back up, okay? Yeah, no <laughs> we go, I'm muting. It's really interesting how you um, didn't do so well in accounting, considering you must be incredibly intelligent. You've done chiro, you're a doctor, you've done the naturopathy, all that kind of stuff. I did a similar thing where um, I did two years of nuclear medicine and failed miserably. Um, it's just not, you know, when, you, when you're not doing something that you love, it's really hard, I guess, to... Um, 
fit that mold. And I used to beat myself up, you know, not being able to get through this nuke med. And it was actually completely the opposite of what I do now, you know, it's, um, it was just a really interesting journey and yeah, similar to what you said about accounting. (laughs) That's fascinating. Yeah. You've got to be on purpose. And you know, I do another podcast with a a great mate of mine, Marcus Pierce, and it's called 100 Not Out. And 100 Not Out explores longevity and aging. And uh, we look at people who are successfully aging, I suppose, Mm. and what we do. And, so that takes us overseas, you know, we had to, you know, take people on excursions and journeys to the blue zones. Uh, last year was Ikaria. Um, next year will be probably Sardinia or Okinawa, something like that. You know, we'll just take people to places where they can, you know, live immersed in a culture that's living really well and succeeding at ageing. And so when we look at that, um, they tend to do things only that they enjoy. You know, there'll be things that they do do that they don't really enjoy, but, you know, they they do things that are purposeful. And uh, when you're out of integrity with what you're doing, you find it really hard. And so some people really struggle to get out of bed in the morning. Like they just, they get out of bed. Some people feel like crying when they get out of bed in the morning because they're just off track. Like they're not, on, they're not on purpose. And as a result of that, they're literally struggling and challenging their body, making themselves age fast. And, uh, and you can do all the things you want. You can take all the vitamins, all the antioxidants, exercise, go to as many CrossFit classes and Zumba and, you know, F45s that you want. But at the end of the day, if you're not living a life that's on purpose, um, you'll, you'll find it really difficult. You'll really struggle. Unless you can just, you know, segment work and just go, that's just my work. That's how I make my income. I'll just go and do it. And then the rest of my 16 hours in the day, I, I live, love and enjoy then, uh, then you'll be continually challenged and that'll affect your health. So um, like you, Mel, um, I, I think it's really important that, uh, that we both decided to, to change our careers for something that we're passionate about. And, and it's, it's probably the reason why, you know, hopefully we live a long time. <laughs> but, we live a long time. We'd be very successful because we're doing things we're passionate about, you know. Yeah, that's it. Passionate. Yeah, passion's so important, isn't it? Definitely. Um, you mentioned that, you know, you've been working on the other podcast. What other projects do you have at the moment? Oh, there's a few at the moment. Um, look with the wellness couch with the wellness couch is that podcast network that you referred to before. And we've got the wellness guys and, and 100 not out of the two podcasts that I appear on that, on that network, but there's 20 other podcasts on there on that network. And, uh, I think your tech girl, Sindra is about to, uh, to bring her podcast onto our network as well, which is really exciting. So, um, yeah, so I'm looking forward to that. Maybe we'll see you on our network as well too. We never know, Mel, you have to ask us some questions. (laughs) Um, so that's going and that, uh, that allows us to do, um, many different things. So we've got a retreat coming up in a couple of weeks here in Melbourne in the Dandenongs. Uh, we will spend a full weekend with 30 people and, uh, and really drill down on things that, um, that are challenging them around their health and, you know, help them break through. That's called the breakthrough experience and uh, or the wellness breakthrough. And we love that. Um, and then the other thing that we're, we're working on at the moment is next year's summit or this year's summit, because we're now 2017. So 2017 summit, uh, which is a, a big event that we hold for about a thousand people. Uh, this year's going to be in Auckland. And so we've got a bit of work to do there because it's, uh, it's across the ditch. Um, but I think that should be a really great thing too, because, um, you know, we've, we've never taken the summit overseas, uh, but to go to New Zealand, which is kind of almost, not that I'm from New Zealand, but it's almost like my hometown is where my career really took mm-hmm. off. 
um, it should be a really great thing to be able to take that information, that group of people back there. So that's going. Um, I'm still doing a lot of things with Triple M and, uh, and I'll probably, you know, get to work on another television show. I'm filming a documentary on the gut at the moment with Kale Brock. And uh, so there's some really exciting things uh, in the pipelines. Definitely. And you mentioned that the uh, TV show that you filmed uh, originally is still airing. What was it called? That was called Downsize Me. And, uh, and, you know, we were, I originally wanted to call it Cut the Crap. And, and in New Zealand, <laughs> the classic thing um, about New Zealand, is, and it's beautiful, is that they're very PC. And at the time when I, I came up with the words or the, the name Cut the Crap, um, it was probably a little bit un-PC. But I reckon we could get away with it today, you know, 10, 15 years down the track. But um, back then it wasn't going to be the case. And so there was a show called Supersize Me mm-hmm. um, that came out around the same time. And we thought, oh, well, this is the different, this is the flip of it, this is down size me and um and so we decided to do downsize me and uh, and, it was, and it was it was fantastic so it started off as a pilot we started off with just one show and that show went for 47 minutes and uh and had obviously 13 minutes worth of ads and uh and then we it, it just rated so well it became new zealand's number one ranked or number one rated um reality television show uh that that was that they've ever had and i think the stats are still the same it's still the best reality TV show in terms of its rankings. And we're up against The Apprentice, which I think is classic because uh, that was uh, Donald Trump's show and uh, we used to outrate, outrate him and, uh, and also another show called Coronation Street. So yeah. um, you never know, it might be the uh, president of the United States one day. Uh, <laughs> that's where it tends to take your television, right? So <laughs> that could happen. And um, you've asked me before who, who is my kind of listeners. Um, for practitioners, if, if they are listening in, I'm wondering how you took it. Was that TV show kind of the catalyst for you to kind of take your career on, you know, the, the I guess, the road that you have in terms of reaching so many people and, and being this presenter and being this well-known, um, I guess, I want to say, you know, celebrity, um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> in the health world. Yeah. You know, look, sort of celebrities in the health industry and then there's celebrities, but, yeah. It kind of was. Look, I think that um, the, the, we've got Instagram these days, which makes people Insta-famous pretty much. Um, the other thing you've got is Facebook and people can look at you and see all your highlight reels, um, which is always good. Um, then you've got Snapchat and you've got all these different ways in which you can now broadcast your message, which is great. But still, I think what positions people as experts these days is the ability to broadcast. And so um, even though Paleo Pete has a great philosophy, um, he has no qualification really except for a six-month um, mm-hmm. course in nutrition. So, um, But he's seen to be an expert in paleo because he's broadcast. Um, if you look at Sarah Wilson, she's the same. She quit sugar. Um, but she um, she did the same course as Pete, and so the very you know some of the messages that they that they, they do talk about a little bit light on in terms of accuracy and um, and a little bit too I suppose broad in terms of um, the big broad based statements that they do make. So, um, but albeit very very successfully, so the their ability to broadcast and get a message out there. Um, kind of positions them as an expert. So television has that ability. And so I don't know if my message was any better than anybody else's. It's just that I managed to be in the right place at the right time, got a TV show, and all of a sudden I was considered to be an expert in 
you know, food. And mm. and I do love food, but seriously, Mel, you probably know as much as what I do, and we're probably speaking the same language. It's just your ability to get in front of as many people. And I think in Australia and probably the US and the United Kingdom, um, your ability to get in front of people is what positions you as an expert um, more than anything else because there's people out there that know way more about food than what I do. Um, and they just may not be able to communicate it the same way that I do. Yeah. Uh, my, like I said before, my passion is definitely food. And I do um, a food as medicine talk, which is, uh, I imagine, very similar to your power of food. Sure. I think the third or fourth slide in, I've got um, maybe three slides on who we get our information from and being really savvy about, you know, who we're going to listen to. Are we going to listen to, you know, TV hosts and, um, you know, breakfast presenters and, and yeah. those things about what we're going to eat. My mom was reading a magazine yesterday and this guy lost 30 something kilos because he only ate potatoes. <laughs> the potato diet. <laughs> oh no. Nutritional advice from a, you know, that's life magazine or whatever she was reading. Um, so, you know, I'm trying to teach people that even, even though we're trying to learn so much about food, it's this catch 22 because we need to be really careful about who we get that information from Yeah. access to the information, but whether it's right or not, and whether it suits us or not is so important. Oh, look, hundred percent. Yeah. Look, I think it's good to be uh, led a little bit by uh, articles that you read because an article is going to trigger your thought process and get you uh, maybe motivated and passionate to go, oh, if that guy could do it, then I could do it. What's this potato thing about? But then I think it's also really important to go and check everything, whether it's with your naturopath, your herbalist, your chiropractor, your osteopath, your GP, whoever it is that you consider to be your primary healthcare provider. Go and see that person so that uh, they can guide you as to what's most appropriate. One thing I would say is don't take powders for weight loss. Like I just, I just wouldn't do it. Uh, and, and don't go and do meal replacements because it's not teaching you anything. In fact, generally what you're doing is just malnourishing your body. Mm -hmm. um, you might be providing all the vitamins and minerals, but, you know, if you, it's, it's not the same as learning to eat food and understand textures and chewing and satiation and all those sorts of things that you get from food. And so um, any quick, any, you know, lose weight quick mm. program that's not around food uh, is generally going to cause malnourishment. So, and of course you'll lose weight. Um, you're going to be malnourished. That's, that's <laughs> what's going to happen. You do that with potatoes. Just look at the Irish example from the famine. Um, and, uh, and so I think it's really important that you seek some guidance from someone who's been trained, but also just look at the, the person's philosophy. You know, if the philosophy is around looking at numbers, if it's the philosophy is around counting calories or if the philosophy is around something that just doesn't seem to make a lot of sense to you. And there's a whole big wave of people doing extreme ketosis at the moment. That, that for me is a bit frightening because it's just a big blanket approach to losing weight very, very quickly without any real significant thought given to what are the long-term ramifications? Does this cause insulin resistance for me? Will this make me more sensitive? Um, will it disrupt my gastrointestinal microbiome? All these sorts of things, people are asking these questions. So hopefully for those people that are listening to this right now, I might just trigger them to think a bit more about it and maybe, you know, come and see email and ask some more questions. Mm. And why do you think it is? Like, I just... For me, it's really difficult for me to get my head around the fact that what I'm offering some people is too simple or too easy for them to eat real food and to follow this meal plan that has, you know, vegetables, some fruit, some meat, you know, some, some grains, some nuts, like some really simple stuff. It's like it's too easy or it's not going to hurt them enough or it doesn't stress them out enough so it's not really a diet or I just, you know, it's so, it blows my mind that people think that this isn't going to work. Um, yeah. but they have to do these extremes 
I think people like to pin themselves to something that's been branded. Mm. Um, I I think this is why 5.2 was so good because 5.2 allowed people to eat really great food for five days Mm -hmm. and then for two days just kind of take a chill pill or to uh, go into significant calorie restriction. So there's two different ways in which you can do 5.2. You can eat really, really well for five days and then, you know, do two days of crappy food or you can do just normal food and then do two days of very, very low-calorie fasting. Um, And so essentially over a seven-day period, you're only really having the equivalent of five and a half days worth of food. So you're definitely going to lose weight as a result of doing that without having too much challenge. And then because it was a famous eating program, people could do it, pin themselves to it, I'm doing 5-2 and this is my result. So generally I find that most people who do anything like that, I I hate to say this, but most people actually put the weight back on because it's not something that they decide to do that's sustainable for the long term. Um, it's just something they're going to do just to get the fat off. Yeah. Um, and, and that's not necessarily a really great thing. But, um, but look, it works. It gets people's weight off. Um, it's the next step. It's like, okay, I've got the weight off. Now, how do I keep it off? And, and that goes back to our premise where food is medicine and, and eating whole foods really important. Mm. Yeah, just... Um... Kind of makes me frustrated. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, you look at our stats in Australia, we've got 68 to 70 something percent of people are obese or overweight in Australia. And so, you know, whilst it would appear that we've got a significantly enormous um, job task ahead of us in a marketplace that really requires our service, most people are quite content to be, you know, overweight, you know, because the, the new normal is obesity or the new normal is overweight uh, it's abnormal now to be normal weight and uh, and so that that in itself is is a concern because you know sizes are changing with clothes uh and, and all that sort of thing is and fashion's now no longer about you know uh health it's all about the way in which you look so you can you can dress up or dress down anything these days um, and hide the lack of health um, but people don't really talk about that as being a health thing. They talk about being about an aesthetics thing. Mm. So, you know, we've got to maybe spin that round and go, okay, look, this is what a healthy body actually is. It doesn't necessarily mean you've got to be ripped with abs and, you know, uh, you know, perfect measurements around the bust, the waist and the, and the hips. Like it, it's got to be, it's got to be a healthy, a healthy measurement. And, uh, and that isn't someone who's uh, hanging over their top belt or, um, or, or, or huffing and puffing because they're walking down the street. And you know what, I, I talk to my clients about um, that idea that that six-pack or that eight-pack is, you know, something that they're looking to attain and, and how, I guess, um, ridiculous. <laughs> like, compared to, it's the same thing, whether you're overweight or whether you uh, um, want to go to another extreme. I, what I'm trying to teach people is that there's a nice, beautiful middle ground where they can find balance and sustainability in their own body shape, type and weight, rather than looking to, I guess, follow, you know, what they think they need to look like or what they think is the healthy body image. I mean, because a six pack is really hard to get. <laughs> like, yeah. For women, I mean, that that impacts on their cycle and um, their reproductive health to yeah. six pack. I mean, it's really, really difficult. Um, and a lot of my, because I work in a CrossFit gym, one of my clinics is in within a CrossFit gym. Yeah. And one of the biggest things that the girls come and say to me is I've still got this little pouch on my tummy, you know, still got this little pouch. I'm like that. You need that pouch. That's hormones. <laughs> yeah. You know? But yeah. they're looking for that, like 
um, you know, ripped six pack yeah. of cheese grater. <laughs> I know, I know. It's it's definitely a shame on society that that's what we consider to be healthy is a ripped body, and uh, and people consider that to be hot, but. I don't know. I don't know. Look, this is a, a big, long philosophical, you know, discussion that we could have for hours and hours and hours. But I think at the end of the day, um, there, there is definitely a, a quest for the attainment of the perfect body. And, uh, and if that keeps people motivated, then that's a fantastic thing. But it shouldn't make people disappointed if it's not achievable. Mm. And uh, a quest for extremism in either in either way. Yeah. yeah. People are looking for that all or nothing, or that um, yeah, that extreme. Yeah, aren't they? They are. I don't know what that is. It's uh, it's an interesting thing, you know. Whether it's still with immediate gratification, whether it's the the seek or the search for perfection, um, or you know, it's that whole Instagram, Facebook, um, you know, highlights real thing. You know, you want to be able to show people, you know, before and after shots, yeah. and uh, and so you don't get put your after shot up until it's fully, you know, renovated. <laughs> <laughs> You've got to be spot on. Well, there was a study on um, I was listening to. Um, uh, I can't even remember where I heard it, but they were talking about how many times a girl rechecks her Insta photo before she puts it up. Um, oh. And it's like six, they take it up six times and then they, um, what do you do? You put filters and stuff like that on it. Listen to me, I sound like an old woman. Really? Is that right? Yeah, like so many times. So they did a little, like this little, yeah, research trial on it. Um, yeah, very interesting. It's like, oh, that's yeah. fascinating. Maybe that's why, maybe that's what I've got to do. I've been doing use filters. To do that, but now I think it's we've got to just chill out a little bit there. I think um, we're not telling people the truth, and I'm hoping that 2017 is the year of the truth where we actually start to let people know that yeah. Yeah, it's actually it's been tough out there, yeah. or you know, hey, I'm not doing as well as what you might think I am on you know Facebook and Instagram, and, yeah. and I think we've just if we can back up a little bit on that and just you know start to have some human contact and human interaction again, which is what they do do in countries that live a long time. They actually not chatting to each other on SMS or Snapchat yeah. or you know, short little 140 character messages. They're uh, they're really actually having a long conversation. They're sitting out with each other, having some food. They're eating some bread. They um, they're having a little bit of cheese. They're having some yogurt. They're doing all the sorts of things that is tried and tested for centuries and centuries and centuries, generations, millennia, and uh, and and they're living a great time. But really, what it comes down to is this happiness that that surrounds the lifestyle, which you know encompasses purpose and engagement. And, uh, and that's a really important thing. You know, food is so important and we can use food uh, as our medicine, but we've also got to remember that uh, we've got to have fun with our food. And, and that means that uh, learning to enjoy good, healthy food is, is paramount. In balance. Like, mm. yeah, definitely. Like you said, you can break some bread. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. That's right. Look, there's no doubt that there's celiac and there's non-gluten celiac, non-celiac gluten sensitivities and there's wheat allergies and wheat affects thyroid function and whether that's glyphosate or whether that's gluten or whether it's, you know, fructan or whatever it is, then we've got fructose malabsorption and we've got, you know, there's so many different things that we have to deal with these days. At the end of the day, most of that, except for the allergy, celiac disease, comes down to a, a shift in the microbiome. So mm-hmm. we've really got to um, we've got to look to the microbiome, the bacteria in our digestive system, and on our skin. You know, let's not consider that our skin's a separate organ to our gut. Uh, we've got to make sure that that's all in good health. If uh, if we're not looking after everything um, in, with in relation to our microbiome, then we're we're in a bit of trouble. Yeah, definitely. My hubby and I are both uh, gluten-free, um, but for me, I've kind of been 
the last year, just having bits and pieces and just being really lax with it um, compared to what we used to be. And um, he's been the same with um, a few of his other foods. And my sister asked me last night, because we're going to have a baby, um, mm-hmm. that are you going to, she said, are you going to restrict your baby's diet? Oh my gosh. So, oh, <laughs> oh dear. <laughs> uh, restrict. Yeah. I remember Jackson, when Jackson, my son's 16 now. And uh, when, when he was little, about two years old, um, his mum took him to her parents' place and they brought out the lollies. And she said, oh, mum, you know, we don't give Jackson lollies. She said, that's ridiculous. He's a child. He needs his lollies. <laughs> and, you know, and there's that mentality around just because it's available, you should be able to have it. And that's not the case. Just because there's chips in a packet doesn't mean you've got to eat them. Just because, you know, Mac is on the corner doesn't mean you've got to drive through it. It's uh, really what it is. It comes down to a choice as to what you're going to allow yourself to put into your body and allow your children to put into their body. There's no doubt that Jackson has exposure to foods now that he never had exposure to when he was growing up, mm. whether that's because of, you know, what we restricted him from eating um, and now what his friends are sharing with him and showing what he can eat um, or whether it's because food technology has gone so far that there's just a greater variety of different foods. At the end of the day, if you raise your children to be, you know, healthy little beings yeah. with very little to no exposure to really crappy stuff, they'll still get exposure to the crappy stuff later on yeah. um, when they're outside of your care. But it's your duty, it's your responsibility to make sure your children are grown well mm. um, and are raised well. And that includes the ability to eat all foods, not just because they're fussy, they don't like to eat it, so it just gets, you know, pasta and tomato sauce, or he only eats white bread and you know, sprinkles, you know, it was only into, you know, one wheat bit with, you know, lots of sugar on top. That, that end is, I'll say it, it's, it's poor parenting. Um, you've actually got to help your children understand textures. And that means persevering and saying, no, little Johnny, you actually have to eat these foods. There's three vegetables tonight. There's three fruits today. And, you know, you have to eat all these foods. Otherwise, you're not going to be able to play outside. It's not otherwise not going to be able to have dessert. It's you're yeah. not going to be able to play outside. It's education, isn't it? It's just yeah. as important as numbers and colours and all those other things. We want to teach them about food and um, eating all that variety and, and enjoying that as well. Yeah, yeah, it's your responsibility. It's really difficult. You know, you went back to tradition. Um, it's really difficult to lay all that beautiful food out and then have half of the family go, oh, we don't eat that, we don't like that. It changes the whole dynamic of that um, that culture, you know, yeah. culture of food and eating and, and enjoying and having all that love in food. I think it just, you know, yeah. Changes. Exactly. The other thing is too that people don't like to feel that they're wrong. So, um, you know, often people tune out. It's, it's highly likely that the comments that I just said before will probably upset a whole lot of people and they might not want to ever listen to me again. They think that I'm an arrogant person, blah, blah, blah. How dare he say that I'm a bad parent because my child doesn't want to eat good food. Um, at the end of the day, it, it's not that you're right or wrong. It's just, are you doing the best job? And, um, and you've got to ask yourself that. Am I doing the best job for my kids? And if you're not doing the best job for your kids, just step it up a notch. Instead of them eating chips or biscuits or barbecue shapes or whatever it is that you feed in the afternoon, make sure they start with fruit. Most children, uh, when they start to eat fruit, will you know, shift their appetite and they shift their, their you know, flavour sensations. They're going to want to eat food that's really, really good for them. You know, you can create or make a hummus. If you can't do that, then go down to the shop and, and buy a good quality hummus without any additives in it. You know, that's a great thing. And the kids can just come home and eat that off carrot sticks. And you kind of, some people go, oh, that's disgusting, that's boring. Um, but it's the sort of thing you've got to teach children how to do. Yeah, because all that guilt comes into it. You know, I'm not giving them the best, you know, that beautiful packaging that... <laughs> I know. 
then you know carrots are two dollars and this beautiful packaging is five dollars and i want to invest in my child and yeah that's right that's right but we have a responsibility as parents Absolutely. and uh and so if your sister listens to this podcast i hope she understands that it's really important mm-hmm. that um you, you're not actually restricting your children's diet you're actually showing them a way to eat that's going to be you know good for them long term and then later on they can bring other bits and pieces in make their own choices absolutely yeah and they'll go to parties there's no doubt about it you know jack's been to macca's parties jack's been to you know parties where they've had fairy bread and look i used to bring fairy bread to school every single day that's what i used to eat for lunch you know as i was growing up but i definitely would never ever um recommended that would be the best way to go but and i've survived but i'm sure that i would be a even healthier person um if i was um if i had a, a, probably a better grounding with my diet when i was younger mm, yeah interesting mm. i feel like a bit of a baby i guess when i hear yourself and um people like cindy amira talk about food uh because like it's what i'm saying now but you guys have been saying it for like at least the past decade uh, <laughs> so i feel like i'm just kind of you know coming along and repeating it and, and thought that i had all the answers and then hear that there's other people actually saying this already um and oh, it's great that you're doing it, Mel, because the more people that are out there doing it, the better because... It's, the more we reach, yeah. Yeah, we've got to reach more people. It's really important. I'm wondering if your, your power of food talk has changed much. In You said 13 years you've been doing it. Yeah. That's amazing. Like, are you, you know, are you still... Is it still the same? It's still the same. It's actually a bit... Um, I used to, when I first started it, I reckon I had 40, maybe 50 slides in there. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and the very first time I gave that presentation went for nearly four hours. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I had uh, the very first time I had, I think I had, I don't know, 40 or 50 people in a room. It was like a reception, the reception room of my office in New Zealand in Mount Eden. Um, we packed it out with, with people. And people go, oh, great talk, great talk, Damien. The next time I did it, I had one person there. <laughs> I figured, oh, that was a flop, you know. And the reason why I was such a flop is because I tried to, I tried to spew information all over people that was uh, just too much information, too much. And like, oh, I remember the slide you said about, you know, getting a and fitness on your body, but I don't really remember much else after that. And that was my third slide of 50, mm-hmm. right? So I, uh, I realised I needed to shorten it. So if anything, it's probably been shortened. But... The basic principles, which is how do you get heart disease, diabetes and cancer from your food? Um, what are we doing from a stress perspective? How do we measure that sort of stuff? Uh, what's the, how, how do we you know, eat for life and how much food should we eat? Um, all of that's remained the same. And, uh, and I think that's the reason why it's still current is that you can apply the principles of the power of food to paleo, to keto, to um, vegan all the way through to five two, you can whatever diet you're doing. If you apply the principles to the, you know, the power of food to that, um, it will work better and work really, really well. It's just it's based on philosophy and it shares my philosophy around food and lifestyle and nutrition, and and very rarely does anybody walk away from it and go, oh, that really upset me and I never want to see that guy again. Yeah. Um, but in the early days, I think I really upset people because I was a little bit, you know, out there forthright, a bit opinionated. But these days, um, I'm definitely softer in my approach. I, I don't judge people. Um, I try to encourage people to 
to get on board. And I think it's really important as educators, you know, and Cindy does this really well. I'm, I'm trying to do it even better. Um, and, and good for yourself as well, Mal. We don't judge people. Just pick them up where they're at and say, okay, well, that's good. This is where you're at right now. Um, let's try and show you a way in which you can actually do that a little bit better uh, mm-hmm. so you can, you know, support the, your children and support yourself. And if you're going to have children one day, then let's get you really healthy so you know how to do it right for them and, and that sort of thing. So it's a slightly different approach. But it is, you know, it's actually, this is the 14th year of that talk. You know, the first time I did it was in 2003. And uh, so we're now, we're pushing on some, we're pushing on some serious years. I remember seeing Cindy talk at a chiropractic convention when I was doing first year university in 2002. And, um, and it was amazing to listen to her message as it was the same message as what I was talking about. Yes. Um, but, uh, and we're on the same page. And so whatever Cindy said, hey, Cindy, I'm a chiropractor. I know your dad's a chiropractor as well. Let's have a chat. And she's like, oh, Damien, that's really fantastic. I've been doing this for 10 years and blah, blah, blah. And, and so um, she was on the news and she was on talk shows and all that sort of stuff. I thought, oh, my gosh, this Cindy girl, she's a, she's a rock star. And now we work together. And now we do so much work together and it's fantastic. Okay. And so... Um, you know, I think as long as you're spreading the same message, birds of a feather will always flock together. And, uh, and, and so we, we get to help each other. I've seen her talk twice. And the first time I, I was rocked to my core, I thought, how does she, how does she know everything that I've been telling people? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's great that you're doing that. Yeah. No, it's like, so good. like she'd copied me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I've never agreed with everything that anyone else has said. Mm-hmm. And then you find that and you go, Somebody else is doing this. Somebody else is saying this. This is fantastic, you know. Isn't it great? Yeah, it's really good. But that comes down to a philosophy. Mm. And um, because there's so much information out there about food, and so you've got your holistic dietitian, you've got your holistic nutritionist, you've got your naturopath. There's all these people that are talking about food, but at the end of the day, it's got to come back to a philosophy. And, uh, and both Cindy and I share a chiropractic philosophy around our food, and that's a vitalistic philosophy that mm. um, that is that in living things exists an energy and intelligence that gives things order. And so it's the human body really. So you're looking for food that's been very low processed or not processed at all. And, um, you know, when I say low processed, it's, you know, maybe the nuts have been picked off a tree and they're now in a bag um, as opposed to, you know, cooking them in canola oil and having MSG on them and blah, 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 you know. So it's, it's, it, it, it revolves around a central core belief, a fundamental belief, and that's your philosophy. And, uh, and so some people's philosophy is that a calorie is a calorie is a calorie is a calorie. And, and so they say, well, if you eat this many calories a day, then you'll have this experience regardless of what, uh, of what food it is or how good quality it is. You, you'll have this experience. But every time you minimise the discussion, you're actually minimising the result. So if, the, if you only look at calories and they're poor quality calories, the only result you'll get is weight loss. You won't necessarily get an improvement in health. Just because you lose weight doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to improve your health. You might change some outcomes, but it's not at the end of the day going to change things for the good for the long term. It's fascinating. One of the first talks that I did, I was, um, I'm screaming at people, we need to eat alive foods. We need to eat alive foods. And, and this lady puts her hand up and she goes, what do you mean by alive foods, Mel? I'm like, foods that are alive. Doesn't that make sense to you? <laughs> <laughs> Chasing a chicken down the road sort of yeah, thing. Yeah, and I'm yeah. going, you know, nutrigenomics and, you know, we need things that communicate and talk. And these people are just looking at me like... like what I'm planet are you on? Mind. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then you say something like vitalism or, you know, that vitalistic approach and it just, it kind of like 
and puts me in this beautiful bowl and sums it all up. And I just think how, how many people I could have explained it better to. Yeah. <laughs> I had not known that term, you know, but for me, I'm just going, alive foods, you know, we want foods that, is, that haven't been killed, you know, that haven't been, you know, made redundant, you know, in the fact that they're food. Yeah. It's just so funny that, you know, we all had, we've had these same ideas and, um, yeah, like, you know, we do, we have those same philosophies, but we come at them from our own perspectives. And then we've, you find the people that have the same ideas. It's just, yeah. Absolutely. You always be attracted. Yeah. You always be attracted to those people in your life. And one of my great teachers was Bruce Lipton, you know, the understanding of, um, of nutrigenomics and epigenetics came from Bruce Lipton, who was a, a cell biologist in the day of, um, of finding the, the, uh, the DNA, so the Human Genome Project, um, he basically discovered that cells can live without their nucleus. And by discovering that cells can live without their nucleus, he realised that it wasn't the nucleus that actually made the decisions. In other words, it's not the brain that makes the decisions. Um, the brain is all the way through every single cell. And, and that's the energy. And so that's when he started to explore it and realised that the further and further and further you look and the deeper and deeper and deeper you look through a microscope at the cells of a body, the quicker the realisation is that really it's vibration and energy that actually drives us. And so you want to have foods that actually drive at a higher level, higher vibration. Um, so things that are vibrant in their colour naturally, not chemically, mm-hmm. and um, et cetera, et cetera, so that, you, you know, you're improving the vibration of the body. Now, that's a way out there concept for a lot of people. However, what that actually means is that you have control over your genetic expression through altering your environment. And, uh, and Bruce was the guy who found that. So Bruce Lipton, he was a great teacher. And then there was John Martini who taught me a whole lot of stuff too around, you know, um, your intention and how that influences your health and well-being. And then obviously Cindy has, you know, taught me, you know, so much stuff. And, but so is Paleo Pete. And to some extent, so is, you know, Sarah Wilson and, and so on and so forth. You pick up little bits and pieces from that, but it has to be pinned to your philosophy. And if you don't pin it to a philosophy, then there's no argument because every single scientific argument can be countered by another scientific argument. But you can't counter philosophy. Philosophy is like the line in the sand. It, it either is or it isn't, according to philosophy. Mm. Well, it's at your core, isn't it? Isn't yeah, it? that's what you live by. And then that drive that we talked about at the start comes from mm. why we do what we do. Yeah, that's right. Hey, That's I was right. wondering, like, are you, are you still practicing one-on-one? Do you still see your clients? I do, I do. I still practice in Melbourne. Um, I've got a practice in Sandringham in Victoria. And, uh, and all I do is, uh, is, not all I do, what I primarily focus on is chiropractic. Yeah. I, uh, I don't do much nutritional counselling anymore um, or naturopathy. I've got naturopaths who work with me, um, beautiful naturopath at the moment, Carly Gallagher, is with me, and she's a... Uh, She's a really, you know, clever, clever girl. And we look at all kinds of things, you know, we look at the gut, we look at, you know, nutrigenomics, look at physiogenomics, we're considering, you know, thyroid function, we look at other hormones, we do all those sorts of things. But at the end of the day, the treatment model comes back to the philosophy. We both share the same philosophy. Her dad's a chiropractor and um, and her sister's a chiropractor. And so I tend to find myself um, surrounding myself with people that share that same philosophy. It just tends to be that people tend to be chiropractors or, uh, I suppose, um, good thinkers with regards to nutrition and well-being um, mm. that, that I tend to surround myself with. That's beautiful. Mm. I love it. 
that's what makes the, I mean, that's what makes a difference in the world and makes a successful practice and it will attract people to you. So it's great. Yeah. yeah. Thanks, Mel. I'm wondering, I guess, lastly, to finish up, because we've been chatting away, um, do you have anything really new and exciting for 2017 that you haven't told me yet? <laughs> well, just that, uh, just the documentary that's coming out with Kale, Kale Brock. Um, that's going to be a really exciting thing. Um, I'm not sure if you've heard of Kale before, but Kale's a, Kale's a, a rock star in terms of the microbiome. Again, his education, um, he's, not, he's not a specialist in the microbiome, only that he's a journalist who's investigated the microbiome. And as a result of his investigation, he's learned a lot of things, which is fantastic. And what his uh, incredible skill is, is to be able to communicate these concepts that are really otherwise very difficult to understand. Right. And he's communicating the microbiome in a way that people can really sink their teeth into and get it and understand it. And he's pulling together a, um, a, a, a summit, I suppose, and then a documentary around the microbiome, the gut. And, uh, and I'm really excited to be part of that. Uh, there's some really great speakers and some really great educators that are part of that particular um, that movie. And, uh, and, and I can't wait for that to come out. So that's probably the, that's the one certainty that I've got this year. I am working on some other things that I can't disclose yet, but um, I'm, uh, I'm really very, very excited to, to be doing... I'm excited about 2017. I think it's going to be a great year for food and nutrition. I think we'll see some sensibleness come back into it. We're moving away from the extremes of paleo. There's a bit of a, a, bit of a keto thing happening at the moment, but I think that'll be gone after summer. People like, I want to do keto through winter. Yeah, it flushes in and out every year as well. Every year. It's kind of like the flush. I think we'll see a, a movement back to plant-based diets, which would be great. There'll be some extremes there, so people will go back to vegan and maybe some people will go as far as vegetarian. Um, but um, I think what we'll see is a bit of a balancing out this year. We should see a bit of balance for the next two to three years is my tip, uh, which would be great for humanity because we'll start to see that we can eat plants and we can you know, enjoy gluten-free grains and we can still have a little bit of dairy and, and we can actually live a really healthy, well life uh, with very, very low stress and hopefully we bring back the community back to food. And so we start to uh, sit down and have meals with our family rather than actually sitting down and having meals with the television. So I think there'll be a few little shifts there in, in our consciousness. That's the, a beautiful nutritional horoscope. I love it. <laughs> hopefully it's right. We'll see how we go. Yeah. And uh, when's the doco due? Uh, I'm pretty sure June, July. I think cool. we'll see it come right. out. Yeah. So we can keep our eye out for it. I'm yeah. going to put some links to you um, so people can kind of uh, see where you're at and, and, you know, follow you if they want to after listening in. Um, and other than that, thank you so much. Thanks so much, Mel. I really appreciate it. And thanks for letting me ramble. Um, I hope I didn't say anything too contentious uh, and, uh, and it will uh, inspire people to make better choices and, you know, hopefully come and see Mel for some help. people, I think. That's our job. That's right. Thanks, Mel. See you.